Bruce Cruiser, Executive Director of Mental Health America of Virginia. What inspired you to get involved with the Mental Health of America of Virginia? Oh, well, I think for most of my career, uh, I had worked in community corrections uh, with alternatives to jail or prison and incarceration. Uh, and I, But one thing I realized over time was that so many of the people who were caught up in the criminal justice system were really uh, dealing with untreated trauma. And uh, they might be self-medicating through drugs and getting arrested or, or lashing out or inappropriate behavior. But, but so many times um, the underlying causes had to do with mental health issues that had not been addressed. So that was, that was one of the reasons I, uh, I left that field and then uh, and have, was fortunate to get a position with uh, the nonprofit Mental Health America Virginia. So, um, so really it is, it, you know, I used to say that uh, corrections was the last frontier, but I really think mental health is sort of the last frontier um, and uh, really en enjoy the work. Yeah, what are some of the initiatives of the organization? Well, one thing that we're very proud of and is growing is our peer-run warm line. So it's not a crisis line or hotline, but it's anything just short of that. So the warm line helps keep people out of crisis and it's anonymous. And the, the person that answers the phone on our end is someone who, who has had their own experience living with a mental health condition and has been in recovery and uh, has had training to respond on the warm line as a peer recovery specialist. So um, that, that has been a lifesaver literally during COVID when it was hard for people to leave their apartment or house or to see a therapist, but they could call the warm line. So we were already virtual in that sense. And then uh, the number of calls increased dramatically. It's leveled off some now, but it's still pretty high level. We get about, you know, we might get 5,000 calls this year. And we, each caller is is treated, again, it's anonymous. So we, we, we're really proud to be able to keep expanding that form line. And each caller is treated individually and non-judgmentally. And, um, and if they just want to talk, we just listen. If they want to um, explore like a self-care plan or identify resources that they might have available to them that they didn't know about, then we can help with that. Uh, or if it really is a crisis call, then we will do a warm handoff to the 988 number or their community services for a crisis line. So, and that's, so we're really proud. We've added texting. We have Spanish or bilingual operator on a few nights a week. And then we're looking to uh, uh, hopefully expand into a chat function as well to make it more accessible to, to younger folks who might prefer that way of communicating. So that that's really uh, something we're really proud of. And of course, we also do recovery education programs for people in recovery. It's peer run uh, webinars uh, that are free. And then we also uh, do some advocacy work with the Virginia legislature and policymakers where we work with our other partners in the mental health world to try to bring about more attention and funding for mental health services in Virginia. When I was doing my research, I, I went on your website and talked about how people were treated, you know, just decades ago with 
mental health issues. Do you see even just the talk of suicide prevention and mental health getting better than what it was once was? Yeah, that's something I've really noticed a lot, particularly in the last few years uh, that, well, I mean, in our view, the sooner that people feel, I mean, if someone has an issue that's bothering them, often what prevents them from getting help is the perceived stigma associated with some kind of a mental illness, right? But I think that's changing, particularly among young people. We see a lot more willingness to talk about mental health and what problems people may be having. So I do think COVID actually helped change that a little bit because so many people were who had never identified as having a mental illness or dealing with mental health. So many people were faced with this during COVID with having some severe anxiety or panic attacks or being depressed, being more isolated. So they they were cut off from their normal healthy support systems. So things they didn't even realize they were doing for their mental health, like hanging out with friends or uh, or having a, you know, or, or exercising that they thought was just for their physical health at the gym. But turns out that helps your mental health as well. So 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 many people in the general public started realizing that they needed to pay attention to their mental health and identify that. So I do think it's a gradual change, but I think we're we're seeing welcome changes there with a much more willingness of people to talk about mental health. And the sooner they do that, and the sooner they're going to reach out for help if they need it, and and then the better the outcomes. It's just like with the broken leg. If you wait a week to go to the doctor, it's not going to have as good outcome as if you go right away. So that's uh, that's something that, that we were definitely encouraged about. I know for me, I was diagnosed with a bipolar disorder too at uh, 37, I'm 41 now, but that was, you know, 37 years of not knowing what were the issues. So, uh, and then, you know, even with the stigma, um, my mom had a friend who was, uh, at a mental institution at the time. And then I was afraid, or am I going to be taken away? So, uh, just thinking about the kids nowadays, it is helping people just t- share their stories. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. You see college kid, college age kids um, talking about it and getting peer, getting natural peer support from their friends, right? Without yeah. even calling it that. Yeah. So we're really uh, there's, there's a lot more attention, and the and the good thing is too that it helps fill the gap that is a national gap, really, and the number of trained mental health professionals available to to to, to help people. Because we definitely have a, a shortage of uh, mental health professionals in Virginia. It, there's a wide variety of resources in Northern Virginia. You might have a lot more psychiatrists, for example, whereas parts of Southwest Virginia, there isn't one at all. And so um, telehealth has helped in that regard, but peer support has also helped where, you know, people can, can reach out and get support from each other. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and it doesn't take the place of a, you know, a psychiatrist or medication, if that's really what's needed, but it helps complement that and uh, and help fill in some gaps. I live in uh, Prince William County, Virginia, and mm-hmm. in 2025-ish, there's going to be a crisis uh, recovery center coming. With mm-hmm. a center like that, 
does it help not only the people, the families, but does it help like first responders in bringing people to the right place? Yes. And I'm, I've read about that pending place in Prince William. I think it's exciting to see that. That's, I think that's a, a great example of where Virginia is headed. Yeah. There, we've had so much uh, emphasis over the last decades of just, you know, you see, you see a psychiatrist or a therapist, or you have to go to the hospital. Well, the reality is there's a lot in between that if it's, that is showing, you know, statistically great outcomes, if you have a continuum of care in the community and you, not everybody needs to go to the hospital. In fact, a small percentage of those, even those in crisis really have to go to a hospital in order to, uh, get the help they need to get out of the crisis. If they, there was a crisis receiving center or the crisis stabilization centers, there was, um, I think the uh, mobile crisis teams that are being placed around the state uh, so that someone calls 988 instead of 911, which is the new new number for uh, a mental suicide or crisis support helpline. You can call that number and the immediate default is not law enforcement response, but it may be that something can be, a trained professional mental health provider can be on the phone and be helping the person perhaps resolve it on the phone. If not, the the goal is that a mobile crisis team could respond to the caller's residence with a mental health professional and a perhaps a peer supporter um, and then resolve the situation right there. And if need be, take them to a community crisis receiving center for, for 24 hours or so, which may be all they need, and then be hooked up with ongoing community care to help prevent them from having another crisis. Uh, all of that saves the state money, but most importantly, and it relieves law enforcement from having yeah. to become involved in so many cases, which ties them up from other, other responsibilities. But most importantly, it's less traumatic and more getting help sooner to the person who needs the help. So we're really excited. Prince William is kind of ahead of the curve in, in getting this continuum in place. Yeah. How does it feel for you to be helping people? Well, well, it's very rewarding. And 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 really, I'm not doing the direct service so much. Uh, you know, right. we're more raising awareness and public education. And and uh, and we do. I have the people that work with me who are peer recovery specialists providing support on the warm line. But I get a lot of satisfaction just hearing their stories, you know, hearing how, you know, how they took a call and and how the person told, you know, this is the first time I've ever had somebody truly listen to me. You know, it's made such a difference. You know, I, I really value the support I get. So they share those stories with me and, and and I get a lot of satisfaction out of that because I feel like, yeah, when I'm writing that grant or doing that budget report, it really does have a meaning. <laughs> it really does make a difference somewhere. So, so I get a lot of uh, satisfaction out of that. What do you do to help your own mental health? Oh, well, you know, <laughs> we have to walk the talk, right? We have to practice what we preach. And I'm I'm not uh, so good sometimes with, with setting those boundaries between, you know, work and home. But, but I do make sure I get outside every day. I take a walk every day. 
that's so important to me personally. And what works for me is maybe different than what works for you or someone else. You know, we have to find our own supports and our own kind of lifestyle that um, supports our mental health. It, it, it's different for each person. But for me, it really is uh, getting enough sleep, eating right, and getting some exercise, preferably outside every day, getting some sunshine. Um, th those things I, I, I make a priority in my life so that I can um, be available to give 100%, you know, to helping others and my job. I, and also uh, make sure that I take, take some breaks. Um, I need to uh, build in more days off. I tend not to always take the time I should take, but uh, I'm working on that. Yeah. And also have uh, good support. I mean, I have family that I can talk to who will listen and, uh, and, and provide support. And I think that's also very helpful. Where do you want to see the organization, say, in the next three to five years? Well, I think we're really at a point where we could grow significantly in order to reach more people. I mean, the, you know, the 5,000 calls on the warm line a year is, you know, triple what we were doing, you know, some years ago. But it's just a, a drop in the bucket compared to the potential resource that we could be statewide if, if more people knew about the warm line. So um, that's that's one piece of where I think in three to five years, we'd really like to grow that significantly and, and have more people be aware of it and use it. Plus, um, I think the, the organization could do a lot more in the area of, of just general increased public awareness yeah. and um, and support. And then the, the advocacy part of what we do, we do um, in conjunction with our partners because that really helps leverage our strengths. For example, with NAMI Virginia and with Voices for Virginia's Children or Vocal Virginia, um, Sarah Virginia, we all are uh, working towards making Virginia a leader and not a follower in terms of supports for people with behavioral health issues and and building that continuum of care that I talked about. So I'm hopeful that next few years we'll be able to have much more impact and um, around the state and not just in Richmond. So, you know, we're the state affiliate of Mental Health America, yeah. Uh, and but the there are local affiliates in Virginia with Mental Health America as well, and they do great work in their locality based on meeting a specific need there. So it, it, there's not one size fits all. I mean, every Mental Health America affiliate is different because they're they have the flexibility to provide services that may be whatever's needed in that locality. And, um, and across the country, there are lots of different models. And, and I think what we can do and what we're trying to do is learn from the others, see what else is out there. Where have, have some other affiliates across the country been able to identify a gap or a need and then position themselves to fill that need? You know, government can do a lot. You know, we depend on the state to, and the localities, but the reality is it, it, it's nonprofits that end up kind of leading the way and, and, and seeing where there are gaps that need to be met. So we're really uh, excited about some opportunities down the road. Yeah, and Mental Health America overall has been around 
for a very long time. What does it mean to you to be advancing the mi- the mission, especially in Virginia? Yeah, well, it's really a unique opportunity in some ways. Virginia was, uh, it's been around almost as long as the National Health America. I think they're over 100 years old. I think we're 80, 85 or 86 years old. But um, the tradition to me is is a proud one because in Virginia, uh, the initial uh, kind of issue that created mental health, what is now Mental Health America, Virginia, was uh, the conditions in the state psychiatric hospitals. And it was in the 1930s. So it was during the time of eugenics. And there were pretty much every person who was sent to the state mental hospital was was forcibly sterilized. And so there were fortunately civic leaders and clergy and medical people who were who came together to create an organization to help change that. And, uh, and at that time, it was called the Virginia Society for Mental Hygiene. There was a it was part of the mental hygiene movement. Right. So but uh, so name has changed over the years. But that 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 advocacy and public awareness is still a big part of of our mission. Yeah. So it's a it's a unique opportunity for me. And I'm just really pleased that we that I've been able to, you know, be part of it. 